Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. All right, everybody, welcome back to today's edition of Dirty Drinks. How are you, Rick? I am doing well, Sarah. Yourself? Not too bad. You are not in your normal environment today. No, I'm actually down rounding on our community service. So I'm down at Bellevue doing this on my phone. So I hope the uh, quality of the uh, audio is good. It sounds good to me. So. Those i those uh iPad or uh, uh, headphone things are amazing, aren't they? They they really are. Technology's great when it works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand any of it, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for taking time out of your um, busy schedule to be able to chat today. Always happy to. This is one of the best parts of the week when we record a, a podcast. So I'm happy. Always happy to join. Awesome. So today we get to talk to Miss Kelly Work, who is an infectious disease physician and assistant professor of infectious diseases at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And she's also the antibiotic stewardship co-lead for the Kansas Department of Health. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, welcome. We're really glad. We love getting people from outside of the state. Uh, we usually have to twist somebody's arm to get them on, local people and everything else, so, you know, offer them things under the table. But uh, you came on willingly. This is great. You know, I, I'm i willing to do, I I do tons of presentations, webinars, et cetera, but I will say this is my first podcast. So yeah, so we'll, uh, I'm a podcast virgin here. You can add it to your resume now. I know, I can. <laughs> I, I don't know that it'll get you anywhere, but it could be fun. Um. I don't know. I think it's a it's a badge. You can we we should start giving out badges or something. We could That's we true. could do um, like those little digital badges that people put at the end of their email signature. That would be there. Fun. You go. Yeah. Or like those little badges you get on your iPhone when you complete your move for the for the day or for the <laughs> week. You get that little badge. It makes you feel like you've earned something, right? Right. When in all reality, you probably haven't done that much. Hey, well, yeah, very true. <laughs> well, for very me. Very true. Like, <laughs> I, I walked enough steps today. That's my badge. It depends on where you set it. I mean, if you set it at 50 <laughs> steps, then it's kind of, you know, doesn't probably That's get true. you very far. That's true. <laughs> all right well welcome kelly we're glad to have you yeah thank you um so how are things going down in kansas now well it's been pretty hot um and i'm sure it's been exceedingly hot the past uh few weeks for you guys and we just got over a pretty nasty storm that uh had about i think 180,000 people lost their power so that was kind of fun in the heat um but as for uh public health and medicine wise everything's staying pretty pretty quiet right now actually how's it up in nebraska yeah. 
Pretty much the same. Hot, hot, really hot today and tomorrow. It looks like uh, we finally got some rain this month, but otherwise, uh, much the same. COVID has been kind of a little bit nice. Back to kind of busy otherwise, which is crazy. I do some employee health. We've had some weird exposures lately that have required lots of manpower to uh, investigate and everything else. So always something going on, I think. There is always something going on. Kansas. Yeah. Where are you at in Kansas? Are you in KCK or are you in? uh... Yeah. Yeah. So KCK for the most part. And then I commute um, when I'm kind of off service at my uh, primary, which is, you know, being an ID physician. So when I'm off service, my off service weeks, I'll commute over to Topeka. But we also do a lot of remote work now. Um, They really, it's been nice that um, a lot of the public health workers have been now across the state, you know, where they can work either hybrid or remotely. So. That's awesome. Now, the Kansas Department of Health is set up a lot differently than Nebraska Department of Health. Um, Which department are you with? So I am in the um, Healthcare Associated Infections and Antibiotic Resistance section, um, which is under the umbrella of a kind of um, the Bureau of Epidemiology Um, And so that, um, and then there's kind of, I think we're also maybe kind of under um, ITER, infectious disease epi in response. Um, So several kind of umbrellas to us, but yeah, I myself in the HAI and AR section, so. Awesome. And how'd you end up getting into this sort of work? So yeah, actually, so after I did fellowship, I, I honestly didn't think about, I guess I didn't have like a clear direction ID wise what I wanted to kind of go into but I did like public health so I started on my MPH after fellowship and then that's when I um, they kind of put out a um, I think I was wrapping up kind of my public health and they put out a call for if anyone was interested in being um, on the for the ID group at least to be in the uh, Kansas advisory the HAI and um, AR advisory group and so I signed up for, I kind of volunteered for our ID group at KU. And then I was also needing to do some work for my MPH. And I started to do like my internship at KDHE. And from there, it just kind of streamlined into, I guess I did pretty good on my <laughs> projects. And so finally, they, after I finished my MPH, they're like, hey, you know, do you want us to like give you a job and pay you for all these things that you're you're kind of doing? And so then just kind of over time that was in 2018 19 um and so from then on it's just kind of grown and expanded and um really at that point the um the sec- the section actually wasn't wasn't even a section then so we've kind of grown and you know it was kind of the beginnings of kind of having like an um stewardship um being within that so yeah it's really expanded and then of course throughout covid you know our reach really grew and now we have kind of state infection preventionist and regional and you know all these different um kind of branches that's happened out across um across our across our state awesome did you always want to be a physician like growing up i think i as long as i could remember i wanted to be a physician and as long as i could remember i wanted i really liked infectious disease because I remember when I was in 
even middle school and high school. And, you know, I, I would um, watch like the hot zone or, you know, um, read those books. And so even before I started undergrad, I think I had that in my mind of kind of ID, um, you know, throughout med school, I thought a little bit, I dabbled in pathology a little bit. <laughs> um, but the, when you get to like pathology and, and you sit a lot, that just wasn't, I realized that pathology wasn't my avenue. So what I, and I think what I liked about pathology was, you know, ID and micro and stuff like that. So yeah, so that was um, pretty much my path has always kind of been interested in ID. I wouldn't say I've always been interested in, I mean, I've always been interested in public health, but I didn't, I didn't know that that would be part, a huge part of my career though. Yeah. So how much, how do you do your splits? So you're kind of, it sounds like you're pulled in a couple of different directions, at least for um, public health, as well as doing some ID work at KU, uh, which uh, can probably get a little complicated at times, I imagine. Yeah, I think that's what's so nice about like working in the academic sector, too, is because you have a lot more, uh, you know, flexibility to do your other avenues. So I uh, for KU and I'm, I'm full-time there. So I do 24 weeks like on of consults, basically, you know, the bulk of our works cons is inpatient. Um, and then we do have throughout the week um, we have about when we're off service, we only have one day of clinic a week. So that when I'm off service, I basically have um, four days of the week to, to do um, my public health stuff. And, and so really, yeah, that's a pretty good bulk, bulk of your time to be able to do a lot of extra work. A lot of my colleagues, you know, they might do more, whether it be research or transplant. Um, and I'm kind of, at this point, really the only one at KU that does more public health. But, you know, our, our program's growing a lot. Um, when I was a fellow, we only had, I say only, um, I think we had 12, like maybe, actually, maybe not even 12, maybe 10 faculty. And now we're up to like 18. But I know you guys at Nebraska, how many faculty do you have there? right around 30 um, faculty. Some of them are a little bit more involved in public health or uh, kind of the um, biocontainment unit response and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think numbers around 30. And we have, I think, 13 APPs or something like that as well. So we've gotten pretty big over the last five to 10 years. Yeah, it's kind of what's happened to ours, but we don't actually have any APPs at this point yet. So we're, it's all um, the physicians that are doing all the clinical work. And one thing that was interesting, you mentioned, you said full-time is 24 weeks of inpatient. Is that kind of your guys' benchmark? It's one of the things that's coming up in ID that's kind of interesting is, is what actually is one FTE, one full-time FTE. So um, you know, 24 weeks and a half day of clinic is what you guys use as your benchmark? That's, yeah, pretty much that's where our, our kind of basis is. Um, some people that do stuff, say, in the School of Medicine, like they are pretty involved in the um, residency or School of Medicine, and they're um, maybe um, do a little bit less weeks, or some other people that are maybe more weeks for stewardship, they can kind of maybe reduce some of those, but that's kind of, yeah, the basis. Gotcha. And many people actually do many more weeks of that um, if they don't do a lot of kind of um, extra clinical work. Yeah. Are you from Kansas then originally? Yeah, I'm from actually, I'm from Western Kansas, uh, Northwest Kansas from Colby. Um, you know, the Oasis on the Plains, if you ever go on I-70 from 
uh, in, throughout Kansas. It's the gateway to Denver, basically. That's how everyone, and, and it's also the place to always get shut down when the um, storms come through. You you get trapped in Colby, basically. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have too. Where are you guys <laughs> from? Are you from Nebraska or where? I am, um, I grew up in Iowa, so I didn't move very far, but yeah, from the area. Yeah, I'm really not from anywhere. I'm a military brat, um, so kind of lived all over, but I did go to high school and then uh, undergrad in Nebraska, med school in Nebraska too, before I went away for training and then came back to Nebraska in 2004. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I did pretty much same as you. I did most of my, well, actually not most, like all of my from undergrad to med school at KU. The only difference was that I got my MPH at George Washington. So yeah, I pretty much stayed within the KU realm. Nice, nice. So um, back to some of your HAIs stuff. What kind of challenges are you facing in Kansas right now in terms of your public health work? Uh, you know, Kansas kind of is a lot like Nebraska. You have a big urban metropolitan area and then lots of state west of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, so we've had especially started pre-COVID, um, we've had a lot of issues with crab. Um, and so that that started really within pretty largely kind of one facility, and that's pretty much spread throughout the rest of the, the state. Um, so um, tiny little um, nursing homes and, you know, southwest kansas now have um have kind of this um have gotten this issue and so i think we have one of the higher rates of crab in the nation unfortunately that has probably been for us for mdros um kind of the one of the biggest thing we've struggled with um and i could say even i feel like from when i was a, a fellow to where it is now i mean i don't really recall like a lot of and we definitely didn't have you know really resistant cinnabacter infections back then, but even just like CREs, I, I don't really remember them happening that much. And now it just, you know, as you know, it's just a kind of a, a daily, weekly issue where you're dealing with kind of trying to treat these. Um, for the, for our division though, I mean, I feel like one thing that's been the hardest to keep up with, we, we got, as you did, as everyone did, got a lot of funds early in the pandemic um, but the turnover has just been one of the biggest issues. And so, you know, we've went through, um, I think, you know, just within those three years, we each, every year, there's almost a different um, antibiotic resistant epi team. And, and it's just been really difficult to, to even, or the advance, you know, some people advance to higher kind of epi positions. Um, but really the turnover has just been the limiting factor because you, you get to kind of be um, treading water and then someone either moves on or, or moves up and, um, you know, you, you start back with a new team. So that's definitely been the biggest challenge throughout throughout the past few years. Yeah, oh, since sure. uh, we're kind of an infection control podcast here, I'm interested in, uh, uh, so how, uh, as far as the, the carbapenem resistant acinetobacter infections, how did what did you guys, how did you guys know about it? Do you have a statewide alert system? Did they reach out to you and see it? Did, was there some interesting risk factors that they had kind of in that community that maybe um, was the culprit here? And um, just for people that may be seeing some of this, maybe some approaches that they had to try to contain it. 
Yeah. So in Kansas, what happened is, and it's also another, um, and I think this might be kind of similar to how you guys are too, but how we're kind of on this, you know, the, the, the border. Um, so, and, but we are really in the border, like, you know, you go a block that way and you're in Missouri. And so the facility actually was, uh, a Kansas city, Missouri facility. Um, but you know, like a lot of those residents or they got transferred, um, you know, both sides. Um, and so that it really was an acute care setting where that started. Um, and I, specifically it was the ventilator um, patients, um, especially a, it was like a, around the, the LTAC and stuff is where it started. Um, and I think, you know, again, this would have been 20, late 18 going into 2019. And so at that, at that point, there wasn't like a lot of crab here. And so when the report started to come in, you know, and then multiple reports from the same facility. So that's when, um, the, you know, kind of did the, um, response to the facility. And that was when it was pretty much uncovered that there was crab in the whole, you know, not just in the LTAX plate, you know, it, it was everywhere. It was in the burn units. It was in the BMT. It was, it, it was just everywhere. Um, and so there was, um, issues with containment, um, because it was also a facility that, um, there was a lot of resistance to having, um, the, you know, HAI section come in and, um, try and provide some um, control strategies. There was just a lot of like logistical barriers, but also I'll say corporate barriers. Um, it, probably a big part of it that came into that play with what happened. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that that containment was very successful. Um, and so that is what kind of then led to um, the issue. And I will say it's an issue in Kansas, but as you can imagine, it, it too has become an issue for Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Had there been a lot of ESBLs prior to that or just the culture to use a lot of carbapenems? Did you have to change that somehow as well? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't honestly know like the um, antibiotic use that was going on um, back then in the kind of 2018 era. Um, but from what I recall, there wasn't like an excessive use Um there, you know, I, there, I think, I feel like there was definitely a heavier fluoroquinolone use. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm not really sure. I didn't get the sense and I can't remember the exact data. And honestly, this is kind of before I was really like a part of the team, uh, but I kind of knew this facility, you know, from, um, kind of working there, kind of doing working in the area and stuff. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say there was necessarily a carb pen overuse, but, uh, there was definitely an AU general AU overuse issue, I feel like. But also it really, I think it stemmed because it was a, it was a ventilator LTAC. And yeah, I think there was just a lot of breach, infection prevention breaches going on. So you mentioned um, your team went in to do a response for this facility. Um, is that something that you do um, just in response to an MDRO or do you do proactive visits as well? Yeah, no, it, I would say earlier, um, so pre-COVID, it probably was more response-driven, um, but now really the goal is, I, I would say actually most of the ICARs that we're doing is really preemptive. Um, so I can't give you an exact number, I guess um, I'd have to ask my team about it, but I would say it's somewhere like, you know, um, maybe one out of 10 is a response, an MDR response ICAR. 
So a lot really of it has shifted into um, kind of prevention. And so really um, our team has, you know, great contacts. Um, a lot of really long-term care focus is where a lot of the um, ICARs are happening. A lot of the work is happening. Not you... as much of the acute care setting. I can think of, and I don't, I don't really go out to the, um, a lot of the um, on-site visits as much anymore, but I'd say in the last year, we've only had a handful of acute care. Um, and, th and again, those have been, that's because they were dealing with an outbreak. Do you feel like the proactive visits, um, people are more receptive to you being in the facility and all of the recommendations that you're making? I think so. I will say there's a difference between the outbreak facilities, though, <laughs> and the preemptive facilities. So, yeah, they're a lot more receptive and um, and they, you know, follow up is really, I feel like, good and, and, and stuff like that with the kind of more prevention ones um, versus the um, response there. It's just it's definitely a, a different type of facility that's gotten into that situation and so yeah it definitely um there's a lot more hesitancy on their part to have to even have you come out on site and um communication wise um i've been on um some of the visits where there just isn't there there's like not any transparency and so you try to um figure out the issue and then afterwards you 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 realize that maybe they were just leading you down a different pathway and it, it just could have been up front, you know, to figure out what the issues were, what, you know, it was, it was pretty easy to see, but, you know, they're just trying to hide some of the issues. So that's definitely the difference in the, that what we've experienced. Um, I don't know what your guys' experience has been in, in Nebraska. Um, we, we have experienced the same. Um, and I think even in some of the other settings, like our outpatient clinics and our dental settings, um, you know, people just hear the word Nebraska, the state's coming, or they want to come visit and everyone freaks out. Um, so I think just trying to let them know, like, we're not licensure. We're not here to get you in trouble. We're just here to help. I think, you know, that messaging is very important when we talk to facilities. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been the same. Yeah. And I know you guys do a lot of um, really the dental ICARs, which is something that um, our state came, I, I think uh, Cassie came and maybe tried to um, learn from you guys and um, learn more about how you're actually starting to do that. Cause it's kind of like an innovative way uh, to kind of break out into the dental dental settings also. Yeah, she came up and spent the whole day with us. So we got to go on site to a dental clinic and do an assessment. And we talked to her about our follow-up process and data analysis and all of that fun stuff afterward. So it was, I think it was a good visit. I hope she had a good time. <laughs> no, she had a really good time. She spoke very highly of it. And uh, I think she was telling other members of the team that they should go out and learn and really she's complimented that there was such like a collaborative effort and stuff too so she had a she definitely had a, a good experience good always you're gonna get you Sarah that. really excited if you start talking about dental stuff yeah I know that's what I was wondering <laughs> <laughs> now um Rick I don't think you know this but Kelly actually has worked on some dental um toolkits so oh, nice. that's how I met her, actually. Yeah, that is how we met. We were kind of doing some um, 
dental uh, kind of incidentally got both kind of asked to do some work with one of the um, FHQCs uh, for a combined Nebraska Kansas dental summit. And so I kind of talked about some of the um, stewardship work that we'd done and um, Sarah talked about the um, IPAC stuff that you guys have done. I, I would like to say that we've done work, but it's mostly been, I mean, it has been work, but getting, I don't know, we have found a lot of difficulty trying to break into the dental setting, um, you know, connecting with the dentist and um, figuring out how we can kind of resonate with like how, how this is an important issue for dentists. Um, we've kind of ran into a lot of barriers with that. So um, I don't know if you guys have had a lot of any any success in, in Kansas in, in Nebraska that you could relate to Kansas? Yeah, I think um, one of our best avenues has been leveraging their need for continuing education. So, you know, most states have a continuing education requirement. Most of them have an infection control requirement for that continuing education. So, you know, like offering to give an hour long infection control talk to the dental association. Um, and then, you know, that kind of got our name out there a little bit more we were seen as a trusted resource and you know it wasn't wasn't as scary to have us come into your office um so that's been a, a huge help do you guys work at all with the like is there a bureau of um, oral health in nebraska that um is there any like collaborative work that goes on or anything there is. Um, we have, it's the Department of Oral Health for Nebraska DHHS, Dr. Charles Kraft. Um, him and I are in contact, oh gosh, multiple times a week, um, just kind of relaying information about both of our programs. He's been very supportive of what we're doing, and we've been very supportive of what he's doing. Um, we're trying to get in some uh, collaborative efforts on infection control assessments for their public health teams that go out to the school settings. So like the public health hygienists that go out and maybe um, trying to go in and, you know, just observe what they're doing and make some recommendations. Cause that's a really hard setting to, you know, practice all of your infection control properly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is yeah. there a school of dentistry there? There is, we've got two in, Nebraska. One, uh, Creighton Dental is in Omaha, and then the UNMC College of Dentistry is in Lincoln. In Lincoln. Okay. Yeah. I was, mm -hmm. couldn't remember both of that. I knew there was both those, but I didn't know if they were in Omaha or one was in Lincoln, one in Omaha. So, yeah. Yeah. We have one here on the border. We don't have one in Kansas, but we have UMKC, um, which, yeah, um, I try to tap into them a little bit because I know they have um, a, a school of dentistry they have a public health at an mph um that they that they like a school of public health for the uh, dentist that some of them get that too so um i will say that yeah kind of that's been an avenue that we've tried to start um strategizing on from our section is how to really start um getting into um like you know more of the schools and you know even we um just talked last week about you know, going into like K through 12, basically, and starting there. So this is something that's starting to be, um, you know, recognized and getting people in interested early and stuff. Awesome. That's kind of the same goal of our podcast is trying to get people interested in what 
what others are doing in ID and infection control. So it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it fits in perfectly. Um, uh, you know, our, our stated goal when we started this was just to kind of raise the uh, public awareness and interest in, in what people are doing because people like you especially are doing lots of things that people just don't even realize are out there to protect their health. Um, and so uh, it's important that those positions continue, that people uh, get interested in them and, and they grow uh, for just the health of uh, everyone in society. Yeah. And I think, you know, you engage with people, you get them more interested in, and, and I, I mean, what we see in ID and, um, you know, in micro is that we really need to start getting more people interested and involved and the earlier it can happen, the better, um, just with, you know, how, how much shortages we have now and what it's projected to be. So I think this should definitely be like core, core strategy on trying to, um, kind of reach out to, to learners and stuff. Absolutely. Now, I know um, one of your passion projects is antimicrobial stewardship. How did you get into that part of things? That part, really, that was what I started to work on a lot when I was working on my MPH. Um, And so we, um, in Kansas, actually, we were, um, when the CDC kind of got together with the Pew, uh, to develop the critical um, access hospital um, core elements. Uh, Kansas was one of the states that kind of initially got um, invited to help put that together. Um, so we kind of already had some fair, just because we do have so many critical access hospitals, we have um, 85 or 90. So we have a lot in Kansas. Wow. So, um, so a lot of my work actually, when I was uh, working at my MPH was um, developing kind of tools and um, developed some toolkits for, um, you know, the kind of the critical access and long-term care setting. Um, and so honestly, I don't, I don't know. And it really, it just, it stemmed out of that. And, and then that was when I started to um, really, a lot of my work was focusing on stewardship kind of combined, you know, cause I was kind of the subject matter expert too. But now um, where we have got a lot, a lot of growth, um, we've actually now, I, I'm pretty much, that, that's pretty much the full work that I do at, at KDHE is, is just stewardship related. Um, you know, I am still the subject matter expert. So if there's particularly, um, you know, interesting or odd or, or things like that, sometimes I'll get involved with some other, other requests. But yeah, really for the bulk of, I'd say 90% of the stuff that I do is stewardship. Um, at KDG. So, what sort of statewide stewardship programs do you have? So, yeah, one of the big, I would say, we've gotten a lot more um, uh, outreach and engagement with a lot of the educational stuff that we're involved with. Um, we have a lot of partners like um, the Kansas Healthcare Foundation and the Kansas Foundation for Medical Care. And so they've really um, helped out a lot with more of the logistical about having um, kind of setting up conferences or webinars. So we have many webinar series that are kind of going um, kind of in the midst of kind of a, a, a syndromic um, antibiotic syn- uh, stewardship syndrome. So we're kind of focusing kind of on feedback for like each each year we kind of hold a series and then depending on what the feedback is, we kind of adapt it to the next one. Um, so for instance, last year we had several, um, sessions that were specifically kind of like a learning action. So the different facilities would, um, 
we had some on like a dedicated tracking one. We had a dedicated reporting and they would bring their um, issues and then we would work on it together. or We'd do breakouts. Um, and then the feedback that a lot of people wanted last year is like specific to, um, you know, certain conditions. So um, I heard a lot about some facilities wanted more um, information on specifically around like UTIs or wounds, et cetera. So we developed a syndromic kind of series and actually we're doing one for long-term care and then a separate one for critical access. So we got kind of two, two different series running now. And that's really, that, that um, really has been great. Um, people really like that kind of focusing more on um, individual um, conditions and, and what kind of initiatives you would do for stewardship. Um, the, really the big avenue that we're um, trying to strategize on is with all these critical access hospitals, um, how do we get more um, reporting and uptake of the um, AUR module? Um, to NHSN, um, that has been a huge um, barrier in Kansas. And so uh, there's been a lot of, um, you know, I would say successful. I mean, at this point, we're just kind of like meeting individually with um, different facilities and vendors and setting up times to meet to go over tutorials and um, kind of things like that. Uh, there's no like, you know, there's not like a um, systematic way that we're going about this. Um, so, uh, you know, that I don't know if there's any um, any advice you guys have from Nebraska that you've been able to address this issue, especially really it's the it's the low resource facilities, you know. Yeah, are the um, the syndromic modules that you're setting up are they like a virtual uh, YouTube kind of thing or a virtual PowerPoint presentation? Are they publicly available? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on. Um, so the one for the acute care, uh, more acute care and um, outpatient is through the Kansas Healthcare Collaborative or KHC. So on their website, they have the um, sign up and they're once you signed up, they're all you can access them on YouTube and stuff, the recordings. And then the long term care is through um, the Kansas Foundation for Medical Care. So KFMC's website. And then you can same thing once you sign up or register, you can access all them. Um, but yeah, they are live webinars, but so far um, we're about to do our last one for the acute care um, next week. And then we just kind of are in the midst of the long-term care one. So we've only finished two out of five of those. Um, they're monthly, um, monthly webinars that we are holding. And we yeah, like to try and keep them interactive and asking questions. And I feel like they, they really are. Like at the last one, um, I'm working on updating our state antibiogram. And so part of it was... I asked them all to send me their antibiograms so that I can work on updating ours. Um, and really a lot of them, you know, they, they send you back and they ask, and really it's providing a lot of resources. We, we have created some, you know, spreadsheets policy and stuff like that. I know you, you guys really have created a lot of content for, um, for your facilities up there. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I guess if there's something good that came out of, uh, the pandemic and whatnot is the the reach of doing using this technology and doing webinars and podcasts and everything else. I think people have gotten a lot more uh, comfortable with using that as education and things like that. And we've had some that have been very interactive. Certainly, it's horrible when you're sitting there just talking on a webinar and you feel like you're talking into the void and you get no feedback at all. So I think we've all been been there, but I think. You know, and what we've tried to do for the large part in Nebraska, and Sarah can keep me honest here, but I mean, 
we have kind of a diverse program that touches lots of different things and try to just reach out um, as much as we can, provide as much content as we can, and listen to our listeners of what they need. So, you know, one of the things that we do periodically is like, well, what do you want us to discuss? And so I think that is uh, something that is, has helped focus our efforts. You know, for three years, it was pretty much all COVID, um, you know, and now nobody wants to hear anything about that anymore, which is great because I think we're all tired of talking about it. And lots of other things were neglected uh, through throughout that time. So everybody's ready to move on from that. But it's it's been great to use this technology, especially like Kansas in a mostly rural state. I think Nebraska has 63 critical access hospitals, if I'm right. So we have a fair number as well that uh, don't have access to specialists like you um, or, or me or even infection preventionists like Sarah. So the, the more we can reach with, uh, with these technologies, the better. Yeah. And I think what's came out of that too is, um, you know, really where you, they, people ask a lot of questions or you see kind of the same people come back and then they feel comfortable with reaching out to you. So, you know, I, almost every time after, um, a session, you know, I get information, you know, I get questions or, um, you know, just comments from people across the state. So I feel like it's kind of connected us a little bit more, um, you know, and they, especially, you know, reaching out where I am from a rural area and clear across the state. So I kind of feel like I bring that in a little bit just to make them feel like people feel like, yeah, I know, I know how it is to come from a place that really is um, underserved basically. So I, I feel like it's really connected us a lot better actually with this ability to do more virtual outreach. We're actually getting back to being able to do some things on the road. Have you guys to, started to do that much at all? We're taking a few of our conferences that have been kind of Omaha-centric the last few years and getting them going. We, a little bit, yeah. Next month in August, we have um, a summit down in Wichita. And um, we have, you know, the big, the big problem, though, always is it's either it's going to be in northeast um, Kansas, so the Casey area or Wichita, you know, so even then we're kind of missing out if we try to move stuff more to central Kansas, then, but we're still missing some. But yeah, we definitely have um, started to get more into doing some actual conferences again in person. Yeah, Rick. Um is the president of the NICN, which is the Nebraska Infection Control Network. I'm going to brag for you, Rick, because I know you won't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so the NICN conference has been, um, you know, a staple infection control training in the state of Nebraska for years, like, oh gosh, more than 20 years. And so this year we are heading out west to Kearney. Is that right, Rick? Kearney? Yep. So, um, you know, to give those in the Western part of Nebraska an opportunity to be able to come to a live course and not have to travel, I think is a really awesome idea. Um, and we may not get the numbers that we did if we had it in Omaha, but that's okay. Cause we'll have another one eventually. No, I think that's great. I mean, coming from an area like that, where you, you, you know, you're, you see so many opportunities, but it's going to take you six hours to get there, you know? 
So I, I, I really, I think we would love to do that. Um, we talked at our advisory meeting, you know, if a way to even maybe just set up like regional. So like there is a, you know, where they can go um, to, you know, here in um, Western Kansas or in, you know, at least maybe in Eastern. So we could kind of combine to have some in-person, but maybe kind of combine us virtually some way, some hybrid that we could get a little bit more, um, you know, more, more equality, I guess. Um, and not everything just being on like either the Southern or the, the Eastern side of the state. Yeah, we, we piloted that um, with another course that we did earlier this year for school nurses. So we partnered with the ESU network in the state. So they have like learning centers in different regions and we were able to stream the conference to the learning centers and then the locals could come and experience and in-person get to do some networking and still get that education. So I think it was, yeah, think, it was a great model. No, I think that, I think that's, you know, that's like, that definitely is the way that we should try we should you know strive to be um because i mean also when i have done some in areas like you said aren't going to be as there aren't going to be as many attendants but there's a different feeling you know i mean they they're really like so appreciative that you took the time to even um you know go out there um so i think like you just build the relationships and and really the, feel like they're supporting these areas where they just don't have as, as many resources is really greatly appreciated and you know in our regions Absolutely. Good job, Rick. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm a city boy, but you know, I figure what the heck I can go to Kearney. <laughs> It'll be a fun road trip. There you go. <laughs> so in, um, in stewardship, you know, you, you talked about that being one thing you're very interested in. What, um, uh, challenges or, or opportunities do we have kind of going forward here? Uh, in that world that you're looking to uh, tackle? Yeah, I mean, you know, and one thing that we, I feel like we have been successful in our state too, is where we have a lot, so we have a, um, at K-State, um, a veterinary school, and we have um, a couple, um, you know, veterinarian champions, uh, one that focuses on large animal um, and the other small animal, and they're basically like ID veterinarians. Um, and so they really have been, it's been pretty cool to be able to work with kind of the, the vets too, to come up with, um, you know, you adapt your stuff for humans or, you know, both ways. Um, and so that's been kind of fun to have those kind of experiences to kind of get more one health out there. Um, Cause honestly, I, I mean, we focus, you know, we focus so much on large, um, you know, hospitals and they have the resources and they're making improvements, but, um, you know, just trying to kind of switch our focus to those areas that hasn't, don't have as much as resources and haven't had as much attention. And so I think like really, I envision it that we're going to be doing a lot more work in the outpatient setting and really, you know, um, animal, you know, where they get half the antibiotic, you, you know, and we've, we've really done made strides in other areas, but it, we're just starting to get so nitpicky in those areas, but we're forgetting that a, like a large proportion is 
um, happening in these areas we're just kind of neglecting. So, you know, I like doing that kind of work. And, um, and I think it's really interesting to work with the veterinarians and, and figure out the way that the interesting ways um, that they do um, kind of get like diagnostics and, um, and what they, you know, what they're coming up with and, you know, things like symptomatic, I, we have one here where the veterinarian did a, um, a feline cystitis grip pad because not unbeknownst to me, cats don't have the anatomy to really get UTIs. Um, but they, you know, have a lot of behavioral issues. And so they spray a lot. And so I guess there's a lot of antibiotics that's going towards cat UTIs. And so, um, they did like viral and, and cystitis, um, kind of script pads, just kind of the, you know, cholera that we have for, for human medicine. So, um, they've done a lot of work with, um, you know, MDROs actually and coming up with educational materials, um, providing feedback for um, the um, the clients um, when their animal has a MDRO identified and what this means and how you um, you know kind of do infection control with your you know cleaning your hand, you know hand hygiene and all of that. Um, and then they've also created kind of those same materials that they have for the for the clients of the animal. Um, again, not just small animals, but they did them for horses and. Um, cattle. And so they did those also for vet informational too. So to provide information to the vet um, once they get these results. So um, I think it was really interesting to kind of work on those kind of um, collaborative stuff with um, sectors that, you know, you don't normally work with. That's very cool. Yeah, that is super cool. Very Midwest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> And most Kansans, they, uh, because ours is so, so much, you know, the, the Eastern side, they're really big about KU, you know, but they're really the bulk of Kansas really prefers K-State. So, I mean, you can like tap into different sectors by saying, hey, we're working with our K-State colleagues on this stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, um, just because now I'm curious, is there like what the overall percentage of antibiotics used in like for animals is it a huge percentage you know i i have seen the numbers before but i feel like it's a little over half um is actually okay. in the animal world um and i can't remember if it's just under half or just a little bit over half um there's one of the researchers mike apley he's actually a pharmacologist and a veterinarian um, and he um, actually, he does his uh, work in large animal, so like feedlots and stuff. And um, the past few years, there's been some, you know, um, uh, USDA changes where um, no longer are they kind of putting antibiotics in. That was a huge, um, you know, movement forward, not putting antibiotics in, in feed um, as a growth, um, you know, enhancer. And so that's been his work. And actually, he was just on sabbatical going through, you um, places in Europe actually seeing what they're doing with um, their kind of antibiotic use in, in large animals and feedlots and, um, you know, kind of looking at how that's affecting um, resistance and stuff like that. Um, and he's um, part of the, the PACARB too. So he's done a lot of um, really good work. Um, but yeah, I know uh, that's kind of been where he's focused. And then I know the smaller animal vet, and I think she's just like basically like an ID, ID veterinarian. 
um, it's been interesting to see how they're trying to develop. So like at their hospital, um, they've developed like an, you know, an animal hospital infection prevention and control program, and then also um, a stewardship program there. So it's been really interesting to kind of see how um, they've, you know, adapted that to the animal um, world and really so many barriers because I hear them talk about um, the faculty, even though they're, you know, K-State faculty teaching veterinarian students, but some of their colleagues are even telling the vet students during the lectures that this is still like a myth. Um, and that's, you know, in 2023 still. Um, so those are like professors. So uh, yeah, it's it's really um, not as far, uh, you know, it's like maybe like 20 years ago or something in human medicine. Uh, but it's really been interesting to see how they kind of develop these programs. I imagine that was maybe how it was at the beginning when stewardship programs started to happen in hospitals and stuff. Thinking how you, you would do this, you know? Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly practicing at that point in time, you know, and there was always the uh, you're not going to tell me how to practice medicine. I know what's best for my patients kind of stuff uh, that uh, has to, had to be overcome. And I still think you have patches of that in human um, medicine with stewardship, but uh, hopefully it's become a little bit more of the culture now. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully in the animal world, it, they don't have to, you know, it's not going to take because I do feel like it's just it's it's just like way way back compared to where it is where we are now. So hopefully they, um, kind of with the general, one health, um, you know, movement and stuff that they um, doesn't take that long for them to get to where we are in human medicine. That's awesome. Um, so we are quickly approaching the top of the hour. Is there anything else that you are very excited about right now that we didn't talk about? Um, anything I'm excited about, uh, I, I will say I'm excited because I'm doing a lot of webinars right now and I'm excited that <laughs> both my webinar series are starting to, uh, wrap up so I can work on other things. Uh, but I am not thinking anything right now that I am like, uh, that's coming to the top of my head. No worries. Um, do you have any other questions for us? No, this is interesting. I'm interested how long you guys have been doing this podcast for. Oh, gosh. A long time. Let's see here. I have my little spreadsheet up. We started this podcast with Kate Tyner was our first guest on July 6th of 2021. So two years. Awesome. And you guys yeah. do how often? Um, for a while we were doing it every week. Um, but now we're down to every two or three weeks we'll publish a podcast episode. So very cool. Yeah. I yeah. like I said, uh, we would love to do something like this in Kansas. That is so cool. We would love to we've talked about it and this is something we want to branch out and be able to start doing here too. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to have some of your colleagues on if they um, are interested to talk about you know, what they're doing, uh, impacts that they're making in uh, ID, infection prevention, stewardship world. That'd be great. For sure. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We have some of your, we have some of your colleagues that are part of the um, Midwest Antibiotic Stewardship Collaborative um, or MASC, we call it, that started here in KC. And now we've kind of branched out where you have some of your faculty and some people in Barnes Jewish. Um, and we're starting to kind of reach out to Arkansas. So yeah, I love doing collaboratives and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool to talk to some of the people in that group. Uh, I actually trained at Barnes Jewish, so I, I don't know if I might know some of the people. Yeah. But it's been a it's been a minute though. <laughs> it wasn't last year. <laughs> it was not last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, pass out the word. Let them let them know that you guys have a great podcast, and uh, we'd love to hear from uh, some of our kind of regional partners. Absolutely. Yeah, Sarah especially likes it when she gets invited to go places. I always to, love a to, road you know. trip. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great time when I got to road trip to Kansas to speak to the dental group. So Yeah, you had a lot of you had a lot of fun of time. I can tell. You know, I'm actually more of like a homebody. So like it is I mean, I'll go places, but it's just kind of like I'm ready to go back home honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so. I get really excited when I get to go somewhere and educate people, it's, it's a little ridiculous how excited I get, but yeah. Plus that was a dental one. So yeah, you're probably like really in your, you know, yeah, realm. absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rick, do you have anything else? I don't think so. I, I'm super glad that you joined us and uh, we'll have to touch base again in the future. So you can update us on how things are going at our Southern border. Yeah, we'll do. And then when we get our podcast going in 20 years, we'll ask you guys to to come join us. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And if you do have a conference that's something interesting, like, you know, you're having a the stewardship group gets together and maybe does something educational. We'd love to try to show up and interview people when they're there. We, we had a great time at the ASAP conference here in Omaha. So I think it'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. And likewise. Absolutely. All right. So thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in for today's episode of Dirty Drinks. And a big thank you to Dr. Kelly Wark for joining us. Yes, thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.